Welcome out to Greater Alton today. We're glad you're here. My name is Gary, in case you're visiting and don't know who I am. And we have been talking for the last several weeks about a series called Paradigm Shift. And I've been very excited about this. I did the, the second lesson in the series, talking about having a paradigm shift about how we approach money and our resources. And we're actually going to use that to kind of follow up with our next series, uh, talking about resources and how we use them. I believe the series is entitled First, and there may be information about that in your bulletin. But today we're talking about, as you see in your notes, from rules to relationship. Now I don't know if I need to back up and reiterate what a paradigm shift is. I mean, our paradigm is the way we view things, is the way we see things. And a lot of them we have subconsciously. We don't recognize them. And that's when it really becomes important that we sometimes need a shift. Because sometimes we can get used to thinking of things a certain way for whatever reason. We were taught that way as a child. Or our environment encourages us to be that way. Or it's because of where we are at work. Our paradigms can go all kinds of different directions. It could be which radio station you listen to can influence the way you think. Okay, especially in today's political climate, who you listen to from 11 to 2 is going to influence your paradigm. Okay, if you listen to the radio during those times. And guys, sometimes you have to look at them and you say, I need to think of this different. I need to look at a different approach to this. Our theme passage has been in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 from the New Living Translation. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, guys, the truth of the matter is, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple, paradigm shifts are to be a normal part of your existence. That's what this passage is telling you. Not only that, but God is trying to use paradigm shifts to transform you into a person you are not right now. That is what the Lord expects. And that's why it's so significant that we look at this and we look at some of these different areas. Today I'm talking about from rules to relationships. And I hesitated. I actually, when I first thought of this topic and I, I threw it out to Tim, I threw out the topic from religion to relationship. And the reason I did that is because, I'll be honest with you, one of my paradigms is that Christianity by and large gravitates towards being religious. And I don't believe when I read the Bible that that's the way God wants us to be. You see, guys, when you look at religion, there are certain things you see, certain characteristics that you see. Okay? Uh, the definition of religion is a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered the creation of a super human agency or agencies, usually involving devotional and ritual observances and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of human affairs. 
You see, guys, when you look at religion, you see a lot of things that aren't necessarily in and of themselves bad, but you see a set of beliefs. You see a structure. A lot of times, especially in churches and Christianity, the structure is clergy and laity. Okay? And what that means is there's a small group of clergy or leaders. They use different labels for them depending on the denomination or the group. And these guys are special. Okay? They know more than everybody else and they make decisions for the rest of us. Okay? I don't believe you find it quite like that in the Bible. God doesn't expect you to check your brain at the door. Okay? And we're going to be talking about this a little bit more as we go on. But God wants you to think for yourself. Um, and, and there's a moral, moral code of conduct, it says. How we live or how we act. Often that translates to what we're going to be talking about today, which is rules. You see, specifically in Christianity, there is a desire and an expectation to live differently than the world around us. Now the question is, the challenge is, when people meet together as believers in what we call churches, what the Bible calls churches, the challenge is, how do we help each other to live this moral life? To live differently than the world and not just to be like the world. And rules is a common way of coming up with that. And a a good example of a rule, you find it very early in the Bible, though I'm not sure if Eve was really trying to do this, but when God first created Adam and Eve, He put them in the Garden of Eden and He told them what? You can eat of anything you want except this one tree in the middle. This one tree in the middle. And later on in chapter 3 of Genesis, you find the serpent talking to Eve. And what does she tell him? Oh, God says we're not even to touch that fruit. You see, we don't have any record of God telling them not to touch the fruit. He told them not to eat the fruit. Some people have referred to Eve as the first legalist. Okay? Because, I mean, here's the truth of the matter. If you don't touch it, it makes it really, really difficult to eat it, doesn't it? Maybe that's where they came up with bobbing for apples. I don't know. But we have this tendency to put a barrier around something. We're not supposed to eat it, so let's don't touch it. Truth of the matter is, God might have been fine with them playing baseball with the stupid fruit. You know, you couldn't eat it. But if you don't touch it, you won't eat it. And so we come up with rules, and we come up with that, the same thing. A very common one in today's world, in today's churches, which we're very familiar with here, is when it comes to the use of alcohol. Alright? The Bible is very clear. Drunkenness is wrong. God does not want you to get drunk. It says plain as day in the New Testament, do not get drunk on wine. It lists drunkenness in a list of sins. It does not say, thou shalt not allow alcohol to pass through through your mouth. Do not drink alcohol. It doesn't say it. A lot of churches have that rule. We've had people come to Greater Alt and they've asked me, what's your position on alcohol? Where did that come about? That came about 
from different ways, but one primary way is they said, hey, we don't want people to get drunk. Let's tell them not to drink at all. And so guys, that's what you see going on. That's what we're talking about with rules. And we could get into a whole lot more because, I mean, rules are then used to judge other people by and to judge each other by. And you can decide who's going to be here and who's not. And I may get into that in a little bit. But that's the way it is. And at the same time, guys, rules give us a comfort. You know that? We do get something from rules. A good example of that, another rule that you see in a lot of churches, and which we have taught over here, around here at different times, is that you are supposed to tithe. A tithe means you give 10% of your income to the church. A lot of places that is a rule. Some people adopt it as their personal rule. Some people adopt it as the rule for the church. And I can tell you I've fallen into this thinking that says this, I've given my 10%, Now I can do what I want with the other 90%. You see guys, that that concept you don't find in the Bible. As I spoke of about four weeks ago and will be speaking of in the future, everything that we own belongs to God. The whole 100%. And if you want to give 10% to the church or, or to whatever Christian organization as a tithe, I think that's wonderful. But you need to understand, He is still concerned with what you do with the other 90. And that's not a rule, that's a matter of a personal relationship with your Master. Guys, there's a passage I want to read to you, it's not in your notes, it's not on the screen. It's from Colossians chapter 2, it's verses 20 through 23. And this is what it says. It says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are merely based on human commands and teachings. We make them up ourselves. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look like the right thing to do. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. Here's the kicker, guys. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. See guys, what that saying is, rules appear to be the way to go. And we are drawn to them. We know we don't know what to do. We literally don't have to think for ourselves. And we're given a checklist. Here's the things we're supposed to do. Here's the things we're not supposed to do. And we can check off those boxes. And if we checked off enough of them, at least in our own mind, we think, we're good. God's happy with us. And that's why we're drawn to them. And you see guys, that's not the way God has it set up. And that's why we're talking about this paradigm shift today from rules to relationship. Our main passage is going to be in Galatians chapter 5. In your notes, there's only the first three verses of what I'm going to read. Uh, Well, actually, we're going to read those three and then we're going to 
continue on in the passage, on the, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along if you'd like to. But guys, Galatians 5 is just hugely significant uh, to what we're talking about today. So let's read this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful natures, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now, I don't know about you when you read through that. Some of you may have thought, Gary, you said there's no rules, but he gave two lists of rules there. He gave a list of the things we're supposed to do, the fruits of the Spirit, and he gave a list of the things we're not supposed to do. The acts of the sinful nature. It won't ask for a show of hands. But you can see where somebody might think that, correct? There's our list of rules. That's not what those are. If you read it very carefully, it does not call them rules. It says these are fruits of what's going on inside of us. If you look up in verse 16, it says... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you will not do what your sinful nature craves. You see, guys, you are going to be led in one of two directions every day of your lives. You are going to be led by the Holy Spirit or you're going to be led by your sinful nature. 
Those are the two choices that are there. If you are led by your sinful nature, this list here is the kind of things that are going to show up. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are the things that are going to show up. You see, guys, He doesn't say stay away from these things. He's telling you what to do. And that is let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. If you're not letting the Holy Spirit guide your lives, you're going to bear the fruits of the sinful nature. It's going to have its way in your life. These two lists here of fruits are kind of a litmus test for you to look at your life and see what's showing up. If you got things of the sinful nature, you got problems with conflicts with people, and you're dividing from people, and you're involved in sexual immorality, and you have fits of rage, you have angry outbursts. Those are from your sinful nature, and you're listening to it. That's what this is saying. Where if you look at yourself and you go, hey, I've loved people. I was asked this week, I, had, I got a text. Uh, from somebody kind of randomly. And uh, he asked me the question. He says, why are you my friend? I believe it was, why are you even my friend? And this is a younger man who I believe doesn't have a lot of friends in this world. Uh, as I described him to some other people, I said he had a really bad break early in life and he's made the worst of it. He really has. And I, I'm his friend here when, when he needs somebody. I mean, I just helped him in a huge way a couple months back. And he said, why do you love me? And I texted him back and I said, and I don't remember the exact, and I should have brought it up here with me, but I said, because my master wants me to. I said, I serve a master named Jesus. And this is what he wants me to do. He wants me to represent him to every person I'm in contact with. Because He wants them to know that He loves them and cares about them and is there when He needs them. And I went on to say, I do not do this reluctantly. He's asking me, why do you have this fruit? He didn't put it this way. Why do you have this fruit of the Spirit and you're my friend? See guys, which is showing up in your lives? That's the difference that we're talking about. That's the difference. Anybody that is serious about following Jesus looks at that list of the acts of the sinful nature and they got a couple of them, they go, ah, I can't get past it. And they probably tried all kinds of things, even creating rules for themselves. I will not be on the internet while home alone. I will not Frequent whatever places get me in trouble. I will call somebody whenever I'm having a struggle. That's a good thing, by the way. But guys, if you really want to do it, you've got to learn to let the Holy Spirit guide your lives every day. Everything going on. And so guys, with that being said... The question, it then begs the question, how do I go from rules to relationship? And I've got three things I want to mention here. I could have been more exhaustive, but I think these are pretty basic. And the first one is, I will make Jesus Lord of my life. I make Jesus Lord of my life. Now you may go, duh. 
Anyway, let's look at this, this, these two passages here. The first one is in Galatians 5.24. It says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are Christ's. In 1 Peter 3.15, this is what it says, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging Him, giving Him first place in your lives, as Lord. Now guys, if you're sitting in the room here and you may think, oh, Gary's saying that for the people in the room that aren't following Jesus right now. Bless your heart. No, I'm not. Okay? I'm saying it because Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 3. And he was not speaking to unbelievers at that time. He was speaking to believers. In fact, I believe from the, from the timetable, a lot of the people, if not most of the people that read that letter at the time it was written, had been believers for extended periods of time. And he is reminding them to set apart Jesus as Lord. And I believe, guys, that is a challenge for every one of us. Because I believe religion moves us to a comfortable place where we can check off enough boxes and we can feel like, okay, I'm doing enough, I'm okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven when I die, and I don't have to do any more. And I don't have to examine myself. We're living as Jesus is your Lord every day of your life, as He said it, to deny yourself daily, is a challenge. You guys, it's something for every one of us. You see, guys, rules lead us away from Jesus as Lord because we don't need to go listen to somebody what what to do because the rules tell us what to do. And believe it or not, rules don't cover every circumstance. Guys, I want to tell you right now, if if you're one of these people, and I've been here, I understand this, that you struggle with having a regular quiet time, you know, having some time with God every day to focus, looking at His Word, praying to Him, and you struggle even with what to do that on. You sit down with your Bible and you go, what should I be looking at? I'm going to make this really simple. Okay? You can do a quiet time on 1 Peter 3.15 for a very long period of time. Now it's going to lead you to other places, but you can sit down every morning. You can probably even memorize this. You don't even have to open your Bible. But you can say, I need to set apart Jesus as Lord. I need to be reminded that Jesus is Lord of my life. And then that leads you to pray, Jesus, You are Lord of my life. Show me what that means today. Show me what that means over the next four hours as I go to work and it's an ungodly place. You see, guys, that's what God has given you, a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with His Holy Spirit who walks beside you every minute of your life and will give you guidance every minute of your life. But if you haven't set your mind and your commitment that He is Lord, you won't listen to Him. You'll try to come up with answers on your own. And so guys, I think this is very significant. Listen to these. 
uh, listen to these passages, these phrases. The first one's in Ephesians 5.10. It says, find out what pleases the Lord. Romans 8.29 says we are to be conformed to the image of the Son, meaning Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. See guys, I am of the firm conviction that this does not come easily for most of us. It did not come easy for me, and it still challenges me to this very day. I grew up without the parental involvement that I believe is ideal. Which meant I did not have specifically as a young man a father figure or a father guiding me through life the way I believe it should be. I was talking with Jason Langrader. Jason's going to be working for us at one of our car washes. I was telling him, one of the first things I'm going to show you is which direction the pipe tape goes on the threads of a plumbing fitting. I was 48 years old before I knew that. That's a simple deal. I get it. Not every person needs to know that. I get it. But I believe it illustrates that there was not that kind of readily available information, somebody readily available to talk to. And as a result, I tend to live my life pretty independently. I tend to live my life like i got to figure it out myself. That's my sinful nature. And my Lord says, no, you don't. But are you going to listen to what I have to say? That is the question. That is the challenge. And guys, I just, I'm asking you to examine that. How often do you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord? As your Master? As your King? How often do you think or verbalize the words, I want to be like Jesus? How often do you think during difficult times that Jesus suffered so I should expect it to? You see guys, that's the first thing that we need to do is we need to make, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. If you've said that before and you said it and you've been baptized, I'm encouraging you and even challenging you to examine that on a daily basis. Second thing, we're going to move from rules to relationship, is I choose to love the truth. I choose to love the truth. Now this may seem like an odd point, given our discussion, but if you stay with me, you'll see what I'm talking about. And I have to tell you guys, I was first challenged with this several years back when I heard somebody else speaking of having a love for the truth. And I I didn't acknowledge in my life that I really had that. And I thought, huh, do I have that? Now, I did in some ways, because I remember at that point, I was was really hammering away at gossip and, and judging people and judging things off partial information. 
I would get information and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd try, I'd verify it. Is that true? Is that what was said? And, and they're saying, well, I don't know. Then we don't know. Is what I would say. We can't make a decision based off misinformation. And I was doing that, but I had to ask myself, do I really have a love for the truth? And guys, since then, it has taken over in just some huge ways. I see, I'm seeing it everywhere. I was, I talked with the middle schoolers on Sunday afternoons uh, a lot, and uh, they were having a, a question with regards to the creation of the world and and the, the Genesis account and dinosaurs. All right, good questions, normal questions that we should expect. And as we were talking about this, and we were carrying on. I was talking about having a love for the truth. You see, because love for the truth encompasses so much. Does it affect what we believe about the creation of the world? You better believe it. And that's where I started with them because we're talking about science and the theories in science. And I was corrected about what I communicated about a theory. Theory is not just a guess. A theory is a plausible explanation based off evidence. Doesn't make it fact. But you see, I wanted to communicate accurately. So when I was corrected, I corrected it. But guys, it very clearly plays into that. What do you believe about the creation of the world? What do you believe about science? You have to have the love of the truth. Because what I've discovered is there's at least three major camps with regards to the creation of the world and the Genesis account, specifically within the Christian community. And each one of these camps, if you will, interprets things very narrowly. And each one I look at and I go, they went really too far with that. That, that doesn't say that. And so guys, you've got to have this love for the truth. And so we're talking to the middle schoolers telling them that. Is that where the love for the truth stops? No. We went in on then to talk about gossip. Because teenagers need to learn. Gossip is a problem. And you guys, love for the truth goes a long, long way. It covers so many different areas. There are two passages in your Bible that I'm going to read. And then I'm going to read the ones that are noted there. And guys, I just want to read through these because I want you to see the importance and the significance that God places on loving the truth. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says, and now... Just as you accepted Jesus as your Lord, back to what we're talking about, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots go down into Him and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10-12 says they perish... Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. John 16.13 where Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, but when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. John 18, where he is being questioned 
before his crucifixion, Pilate says, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to Me. But look what Jesus has to say. He says, everyone on the side of truth listens to Me. You see, guys, when you look at those passages, do you get the idea that truth is important to God? And He he cares about us valuing truth? I see that pretty plainly. See, guys, here's the, here's the challenge. If you do not love truth, you are going to have difficulty in your relationship with Jesus. If you do not love truth, you are going to have difficulty in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because truth is what they are about. Again, I'm going to say it, what Jesus said. Everyone on the side of truth listens to Me. If I am not on the side of truth, am I going to listen to Jesus? You see, I, no, I'm not. That's what He just said. If I believe what He says, that means no. So if you're going to move from rules to relationship and letting your relationship with Jesus and with His Holy Spirit guide you, you have to have a very clear, very deep Love for the truth. And you can practice that in so many different ways. Okay, it just starts with questioning everything you are told. Verifying what somebody else tells you. Checking it out. If you're talking to somebody and it's not about anything godly at all, but somebody's telling you something about somebody else, and you don't have first-hand information, you have a decision to make. At the very least, make no judgment off this information that you can't verify. At best, go verify it. Go straighten it out. Because it's a very practical way to test yourself on if you have a love for the truth. Whenever your beliefs are challenged... You've got to have a love for the truth. As we've, uh, part of our paradigm shift around here as a church has taken place with, with things we teach. Uh, as you know, uh, I'm kind of leading the crusade on, if you will, I want to call it that, on having a greater understanding and awareness of the complete message of the gospel. And I, I, I have confessed personally, and I've confessed for all of us, <laughs> that I believe we've missed parts of the Gospel. That is one way that my love for the truth has been challenged. You see, because when it comes to looking at the creation of the world and what scientists have to say in their theories, you know what there is on the other side, on the religious side, on the Christian side? Instead of theories, we have something called traditions. And do you know what traditions are? 
Basically, they are beliefs handed down over time, and over time, they become unquestioned. They become taught as fact, and all of a sudden, some, one day, somebody goes, that don't look right. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. Why is it right? What's wrong with it? And we're challenged on whether or not we will examine our traditions. Do we have a love for the truth? You see, because if we do, guys, we're willing to examine our traditions. Jesus said that traditions nullify the Word of God. And guys, what I want to tell you is it is impossible to have the relationship with Jesus that He wants you to have if you don't love the truth. Third thing, if I'm going to go from rules to relationship, is I live a transformed life. I live a transformed life. In your notes there, we see we got Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And we got them back to back, or part of the verse, let me say. And I, I put them there just to draw a contrast, guys. Because this is what that passage is trying to get us to look at. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Guys, when you decide, hey, I want to live by the Spirit, I don't want the sinful nature having its way with me in my life. Over time, there will be a transformation. You will look at those two lists that we read earlier and you will see far less of the acts of the sinful nature and far more of the fruits of the Spirit. And not only that, those around you will very clearly be able to see the transformation. will be able to see that they're dealing with somebody different. And you along the way will see yourself being transformed in the moment. I've shared it before. I used to get mad at the way other people didn't know how to drive. Anybody else there? Yes, I know. Now I repeatedly find myself saying this when somebody's not driving the way I want them to the way that benefits me. I say, I smile first, and I say, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing anything. What am I doing? I'm trying to, I am not trying, I am choosing to bear a fruit of the Spirit instead of an act of the sinful nature. I smile and say, they're not doing nothing wrong. What did I used to do? Let me tell you what I used to do. I used to fantasize. Yes, I did. Somebody's tailgating. That was the that was the ultimate with me. Okay, they're encroaching on my safety by tailgating me at 70 miles an hour. And I used to fantasize about how I could devise a way to squirt gunk on their windshield because they're too close. Okay? Or wish I had a rotten banana that I could just take pieces of and just kind of Chuck out the window. Just being honest here. Just being real. You see very clearly, guys, acts of the sinful nature 
fruit of the Spirit. What do you see when you look at your life? Can you identify transformation taking place? Are you choosing transformation? Are you recognizing your desire to have an act of the sinful nature in the moment and recognizing this is not from the Holy Spirit? That's one of the things, guys. I had a rough day on Friday, a long day on Friday, and I was tempted with my mood to be whatever, poor little pitiful me, and whoa, 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 and on and on. I try so hard, and whoa, 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 things don't go right, and whoa, 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 on and on. And I was fighting it. And I finally got to the point where I just said, this is not from you, God. What I feel, the circumstances are are just what I have to deal with. How I respond to them is my choice. And I want to be completely transformed. The truth is I'm not. Ask my wife. She will tell you. It's supposed to be a laugh. (laughs) Guys, Are you living a transformed life? You see, guys, transformation pleases Jesus. We read the verse in Ephesians 5.10 earlier where it says, find out what pleases the Lord. I will tell you what pleases the Lord. You being transformed into somebody different. You being transformed. And let me tell you, you're not too old to do this. And you're not too young to do this either. Number one question I've been asked over the years, how do I know what God's will for my life is? I will tell you, God's will is for you to be transformed into somebody different. You take your picture of yourself, and I can tell you without a doubt, God wants to change it. That's what... Go back up, guys. Look at the top of your notes. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You want to know what pleases God is you letting Him transform you into a new person. Now the very exciting, cool part about this, I can tell you that without a doubt. The transformation of your life, of your character, of your personality, Jesus is after. That is His will. That is what He desires for you. Now here's the really cool part. The really cool part. Was that all He wants? No, that's not all He wants. But look back up at your notes. The end of Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, Then, after you've allowed Him to transform you into a new person, then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Basically, I can tell you, you learn God's will as you are transformed. Guys, as we close out here, there's a note there, and what that note is, is that confirmation comes from transformation. Transformation.
Okay, one of the goals of religion is to provide assurance of salvation or assurance of going to heaven. Whatever the case may be. However you want to word that. You want assured that what the way you're living and what you're doing is going to benefit you. You're right with God in the end. And guys, I want to read these two passages to you. One's in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. He's talking about transformation. Then in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, this is not in your notes. It says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. You want to have confidence. You want to have assurance. You want to have confirmation that you are doing the will of God and you want to have confidence on the day of judgment. You need to be Jesus in this world. You need to be transformed to be like Jesus in this world. You see, guys, because here's the truth of the matter. Another one of the characteristics of religion is they provide this assurance. And how many times have you heard somebody say, when you're trying to talk to them about Jesus and you're trying to share your faith, and they'll say, I'm a... and they fill in the blank. A denomination. A religion. And basically what they're saying is, I'm trusting what this group is telling me. And a lot of times, based off what the Bible says, what that group's saying, there's a big difference. And guys, people want assurance that they're going to be like this. But here's the truth of the matter. When judgment day comes... And we stand before Jesus and we are being judged. We are not going to stand together as a church. You know that? You're not going to line up all the preachers and all the elders that have ever been at Greater Alton and anybody that's a member stands behind them and he says, rubber stamps either the whole group or shuffles the whole group off to the side. Or we're going to stand there individually. We are going to stand there individually and we will have to answer for how much we decided to let God transform us in this world to be like Jesus. And when you're standing there by yourself, you're not going to be able to say, well, I wasn't taught this. Well, they didn't have a class for that. Now, let me be very clear also. The Bible is very clear. Because I'm before you as a teacher, I'm going to be judged more harshly by what I teach. But the truth of the matter, that don't give you a pass. You have to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus by yourself 
with what you did with your life. And whether or not you really live with Jesus as Lord. Whether you love the truth. And whether you allowed Him to transform you into the likeness of Him. Guys, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know. I hope you're challenged. I want this to be that because I believe of everybody in this room, nobody's like Jesus yet. Not completely. And all of us need to at least be reminded of this or we need to be called to be paying attention to it. Let's pray. Father, I do not want the Greater Alton Church to be a religious group. Father, I want Greater Alton Church to be a group of individuals who live with Jesus as Lord, who love the truth, and who are living a transformed life. Father, right now, I know because I'm challenged. I know because I've been challenged this morning as these days went on, as I stand before everybody now. I'm challenged in how I am not like Jesus. I am challenged to trust You. Father, I'm also very confident that I'm willing to let You change me. And Father, I want Greater Alton to be a group of people that are all individually that way. Father, I want to be that way more. And Father, I pray everybody here can can answer that question for themselves, can look at themselves and examine. Is Jesus really Lord of my life? Do I verbalize it? Do I really love the truth? Am I transformed? And Father, we can commit individually and collectively to living this life You've called us to. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.